Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting bonus episode. I recently sat down with the CTO of Sephora and the head of sales at Orium, and it was an absolutely fascinating conversation, which we're going to share today. In this episode, you're going to hear what I would say is a very inspirational story of Sephora and the digital transformation they've gone through in the past few years, but also the strategy they're using today and really how it's helped them dominate in the market. So not just what they did, but how it's actually helping them see results. And whether you use their products or not, Sephora is absolutely a company you should follow specifically for their digital strategy. They're, they're killing it. As well in this conversation was Thomas Mullerreed from Orium, and they are a leading agency for composable commerce. And my goal is really to leverage the fact that we have a leading agency in the composable space with Thomas and the CTO of a leading brand with Shri and dive into a few topics and strategies around what they've seen work. Ultimately, my goal of this episode was to give you a better understanding of how you might maximize the return on investment of your move to composable commerce. And I do want to say, whether you're committed to composable commerce or not, or maybe you're composable curious, you'd like to learn more, or maybe you have no idea what it even is. I think that's okay. And I think this episode will be enlightening for everyone in all those different categories. Last thing I want to say is this, this was also recorded. There was a video that went along with this. You'll get a lot out of it, even without the video. But if you do want to watch the video recording, Shri had some slides that were pretty valuable and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. If you want to watch it, uh, just click on the link and you can actually watch the full video. Okay, let's get started. Here's my conversation with Shri and Thomas from Sephora and Oreo. Let's quickly introduce our our guests here, Thomas. I'll, I'll start with you and then we'll go over to Sri. Yeah, thanks, Jay. I feel like we're making a habit out of these uh, panels and, and podcasts <laughs> that we're doing together. But um, uh, my name is Thomas Mulreed. I am head of sales here at Orium. We were previously called My Planet, but last August we decided to change our name as well as took on a round of funding. But uh, my core focus within the organization, of, I've been here for about three years, is really how I'm helping brands transition towards composable commerce. Um, I like to say I've been working on projects since before it was even called that, um, back in 2020, before Gartner decided to actually coin the term. Um, I was talking about the headless space and how you can make that change. So I've seen a really fun life cycle of this space maturing and moving extremely quickly. And really my main goal in, in Orium and at Orium as a company is to help people take this first step and get moving in a direction that they ultimately feel like is is a, a better promise ground in terms of what they want to get to in the future. Perfect. And Sri, I'll hand it over to you. So hello, everyone. I'm Sri, Chief Technology Officer for Sephora. I've been with the company for almost close to seven years now. As Thomas said, I think Composable, Headless, and all of this have been there for quite long. And I've been advising that for many organizations. I was in consulting before, uh, long ago, before this job. And um, about 20 years in the industry, I've been uh, preaching about it. In the last uh, year and a half or so, I've been ambassador for Mark as well and uh, explaining organization to take this journey of composability and the headless and, and the cloud readiness and, and so on. And I'm here to talk about like our journey uh, at Sephora and Sephora being a specialty retailer in prestige beauty across the globe. It, it's, it's a massive organization, but at the same time, massive journey to undertake to make this transformation happen. And I'm going to talk about how it happened and, and what are the steps which we took. Yeah. 
<laughs> As I say, and bonus points for anyone watching who can guess how many plants she has behind him there. <laughs> I'm going to say six, but can't quite tell. Uh, yeah. I'm Jay Myers. I'm one of the co-founders with Bold, and uh, we do a lot in the composable space as well. We are a checkout company, and so we help brands uh, own their checkout wherever they wherever they sell. And we think that that's an important piece of, of the stack. And uh, so that's what that's what we focus on at Bold. Okay, with that, let's um, let's dive into it. the first thing we're going to do here is kind of uh, I mean we're lucky enough to have Sharif uh, you know with uh, an amazing company like Sephora I think they're an inspiration on so many levels um, you know we're talking a lot about the technology but you know when a lot of people know know Sephora they know it for the products and a lot of other things but they don't know all what's behind the scenes and a lot of that is what actually makes that amazing experience for customers possible. So you've been through a bit of a journey and we're fortunate enough to have you with here. So I know you've talked about it a lot. So let me, um, we're, we're gonna walk through your story and we'll be quiet for a little bit. And then and then we're gonna uh, discuss and have some questions after. I'll hand it over to you now, Shri. Thank you, Jay. I'll, I'll start with the brief story. I think many of you understand what Sephora is and how Sephora came to be. and. We have been in the industry for quite long and we have been in the forefront of digital and e-commerce ecosystem since 1999. All right, so we have probably probably one of the first ones to start mobile application, native mobile application for our consumers in the beauty domain itself. So with that said, I think we are also a retail retailer by heart, right? I mean, it means that we had physical locations, which are strong physical locations with strong advisors and experts and which has been our core of the business and uh, in 1999 when we started digital it was it was an accessory organization uh, primarily dedicated to making discovery happen and less about the purchases but slowly it grew up to be uh, a big enough uh, organizational revenue maker right so that that created this organic growth and and it comes with traditional liabilities of like systems and legacy uh, operating organizations. So the journey for us started about uh, six or seven years ago, um, just a year before my time. But the, the concept was that we wanted to decouple the technology from like the, the underlying foundations, which are like, I'm going to go through like the mindset, right? I mean, which is very critical. And without understanding what that is and what is composable and what does the, uh, what can it help with for an organization, you can truly take a journey in. So I'm gonna talk, walk us through like how did we go through this mindset and then skill set and then into the tool set. And tool set is for me the technology, right? So I'm gonna just walk you through. And here I'm gonna talk about just the mindset of like what are the key concepts which we kept in mind when we started this journey and years ago, right? So how do we become a customer-centric organization? Sephora has been customer-centric all the time. How do we generate organizational beliefs and, and the technology approaches with respect to the product mindset and the customer-centric approach of developing something with customer in the center, right? How do we then figure out the time to value? Because that's something which uh, we always, any organization doesn't look at, right? I mean, we usually look for like how fast can we get to the market, right? But how do we get to a value is something which we have to cons um, consider when we take this journey on. And then prioritizing growth versus perfection, because I, I know that many companies focus on making it perfect, making it bugless and, and, and so on. But at some time, I think you need to take a pause and think like, let's figure out what is the growth. Let's measure what's happening and then decide where we want to invest further. I think that is what this means by prioritizing growth versus 
perfection, then uh, creating a sustainable theme, right? So that is the fourth part, which is you need to have teams which are sustainable and continue to support the roadmap of those products. I think that's the only way to get to delivering these composable architectures versus dispatching projects. I think many organizations traditionally have been gone through waterfallish approach where you have um, teams organized around systems and tools, right? And you have then projects which are falling onto their plates and you work on a project, you hand over the project, you deliver it to the customer and then you move on to the next project. What you miss in this situation is the, the continuation, continuous roadmap and execution of enhancements and the feedbacks which are coming from the consumer. So having this a sustainable domain-based teams who are consistently looking at results from the production and results from the consumer feedback and then optimizing it for the future. I think that's the uh, that's the meaning of sustainable teams versus dispatching by the pro uh, projects. Uh, building agility was the second thing, which uh, I know I talked about briefly waterfall and what that means, right? I mean, you gather requirements, then you design for it, and then you wait for uh, engineering team to build for it. And then after a few months or maybe weeks, you get to see the product and you may or may not fit to the requirement. So agility means that you don't have to get to the perfection, right? You, you won't know every single requirement from the consumer, but you do need to reach out to consumer as fast as possible, whether it is prototyping, whether it is doing something uh, very minimalistic, right? And getting it released so that we can get the feedback from consumers. And we started this journey in a three-year format, right? I mean, it's a massive organization with a large change for an organization to move from waterfall to truly agile. And I don't have to talk about agility and agile mechanisms which are out there so if there are organizations still trying to figure out i would say this is a great approach to start with we started creating a small lane which we call like express lane and you might have heard this term like fast track express track or toll pass whatever it is it's a small team focused on consistent and continuous delivery of certain features in 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 the consumer facing applications right so we started that with the year it went through a lot of learning i mean i think organizations will need to get used to it Teams will need to get used to it. You need to consider how do you then incorporate prioritization into your mechanisms, all of that. And we mastered that in the year one and then year two when we went with certain applications and certain teams who are ready to get onto this fast track. And we used to give it access okay or clean air pass, which used to get into this fast track lane. And we created multiple such fast tracks in the organizations. And uh, year three, which is about, I think, uh, into 2021 is where we reached year three. And we started this concept called product delivery model. So we uh, organized the teams around uh, domains and capabilities, which can then be delivered, consistently updated, consistently monitored, and, and so on. So that's how we took it. You can also see how many people were involved, how many sprints of activity. And we are now at uh, where we were before, uh, approximately eight uh, organizational releases to consumer facing features to about like 52 features in, in an year. So almost every other week we are releasing something to production to consumers so that they can then test it out, figure out and, and, and so on. And I have some examples too. Now you have created the organization which is independently releasing certain features, but it becomes critical for us to focus on what is success measure for every single feature, right? Every single things which we are prioritizing. So that's where KPIs come, come into play. Define the success criteria and, and make sure that you are able to measure that as well, right, as we go. A-B testing is not a new concept. So many people who know that consumer-focused changes, especially going into headless, I think you will need this more and more because you are 
decoupling your uh, website and applications which are more consumer facing from the backend technologies and you need to make sure that every feature which is released independently is measured and successful using your challenges and 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 um, and controls and then uh, feedback i think getting the feedback from all different mechanisms i mean you may get feedback from your customer support and client services team you might get feedback from your nps surveys you might get feedback from other online surveys which we are doing for different measures consolidate those feedback and see where your product can improvise further where are you seeing friction and and so on and consistently optimize that using the same lane which we talked about in the previous slide make sure that that gets prioritized and it gets fixed and and optimized for the consumer on the technology front many of you might have heard about the the canary release i think that's another process of measuring some of the features uh, uh, during feature release process how do you then uh, release certain aspects of the features to the consumers measure the technical kpis of it and then consolidate that back into the uh, into the process so that's what this measuring of outcome means so these three things are critical in terms of skill set and mindset now let's go into uh, deeper into what we did for specifically skill set so here we, you will see how the teams have created this is just one example and we were lucky enough to start our composable journey way before pandemic and um, it was just by luck right i mean it was not planned but i think uh, organization understood the the benefits of composability and the headless we started that and we were lucky enough to put the foundation in and you can see how it went through the journey so we had to revert we our stores were closed approximately about three months and the digital revenue was the only revenue which was coming in, right? So how did we utilize some of the features such as omni-channel journey, which we took, and it shows how it was released into production in an iterative fashion. You can see that with composability, we could achieve releasing features to the market, which is minimum marketable product, right? So again, there is a concept, all, concept called minimum viable product, which I hate to use in technology terms because Viability doesn't mean anything to the consumer, right? So it may be viable from technical standpoint, but it may not be usable for the consumer. So if you can make it usable, that's what I would call it minimum marketable product. And this, in this scenario, we started the journey in Q1 of 2020, just before the pandemic. We figured out that we need to quickly turn around and release something which is like reserving online and pick up in store. And we, we did that in just three months. We released it to the consumer. They started using it. We could see that about one percentage of the the total sales were coming through uh, for the reserve online pickup in store. But they, we also saw certain challenges, like people couldn't do the hard reservation, they couldn't pay for it in advance. So we started creating the feature two, which is the buy online pickup in store. Immediately right after in the next quarter, we released buy online and pickup in store. And that allowed consumers to then pay for it and then reserve the product in the, in the store so that they can go and pick it up. And then just the quarter after that, uh, we had the holidays. And after that, the, the Q1 of 2021, we released same day delivery, which was another capability which we enabled for the store associates to ship products right out of the stores into customers' location, making it available on the same day. So all of these features, you can see how it, it was done iteratively. In a monolithic ecosystem, pretty much it is impossible to do it. Right? You either get all the requirements, go into waterfallish approach, and you release eight months after something and then you then discover that the consumers are not adopting. So this is what I would say, one of the advantages of comp composable journey is that you can make iterative enhancements, iterative launches, and also going back to A-B testing, test it out, get the feedback. As you imp improvise, you can then figure out 
which path do you want to take? Do you want to continue to do buy online, pick up in store, or do you want to do it uh, through same day delivery because there is more adoption from the consumer side? So we completed pretty much the journey of like omni-channel and we continuously enhance it even now, um, adding new features to it. But uh, this is just an example of like the total sales coming from the channel as well. You can see bottom, we are measuring how much of percentage of the sales are coming through each of them, right? So this shows you the journey by quarter by quarter, how it was iteratively done. Let's go into the technology side now that you understood like the business factors, uh, what we could achieve through Composable. So a few things which we changed on the team side, going back to what I was saying, that the project focused, traditionally we consolidate people to deliver certain products or projects, and we moved away from that concept to delivering uh, certain capabilities. So omni-channel was journey which I was talking about. So the team was cross-functional. They came from different application backgrounds, different skill set, but they were goal to deliver one single thing, and the, the objective was to make it omni-channel. Objective was to make things happen to the consumer, get the feedback, reiterate, and continu continuously improvise, right? So that is one thing which we successfully could do. And I think majority of our organizations have moved on to this new approach right now. Going to the next slide. Um, so now let's talk about some of the technology specific things which we changed. I talked about composability, uh, but composability starting it starts from decoupling your slower components, which traditionally for the organization like Sephora or in many other organizations, I think you have monolithic e-commerce ecosystems in the back end, which are slower in terms of releases and features. And how do we decouple? That's where headless uh, headless comes into play. Then coming into the breaking monoliths, I think there are concept of buy versus build. We'll go into that later, but uh, I think the, the question is, how do we make sure that the things which are absolutely needed and critical for consumer experiences, how do you decompose them? Take away from your monolith and create that uh, a separate ecosystem for yourself to, uh, to create the agility which is required for the consumer side. Then moving to the cloud, it is more about optimization and scalability. I think uh, I, I practically talk about building a church for Easter, which is don't build your church for throughout the year. You, if you just need it for Easter, just build it for Easter. And that's the concept with cloud as well. You don't need to completely scale up the systems for your peak volumes and, and the demands which are coming in. So that is something which we uh, will achieve through the cloud uh, applications as well. Then automate your repeatable processes. There are like so many mundane processes which you will have in the organization if you are grown organically. Uh, how do you automate it? How do you decompose and decouple that from your monolith so that you don't uh, operate your monolithic ecosystem with all of these uh, traditional operational procedures. After the transformation, this is a composable e-commerce uh, architecture, very high level though. I mean, it doesn't talk about all the different factors, but it shows you how it turned out to be uh, from where it was before being one big monolith, which used to do all of these uh, capabilities. Now there are pieces of functionality. You can see the greens and the oranges. The, the greens are the ones which we use the traditional uh, commodity uh, platforms. The, the oranges are the ones which we have created in-house to create those agility for the organizations. And this is high-level ecosystem of different layers of e-commerce uh, in the industry. And this is something which I've created for a template for our organization to use to, to, to figure out like where each of the pieces will fall into place. Right. So this is just to share with the rest of the uh, audience here so that uh, you have a reference architecture in place for uh, your transformation. That's pretty much it. Uh, 
please feel free to ask any questions if you have to drill deep into some of those i think i'm happy to connect with you offline as well uh, to chat about the journey and the details of each of those components yeah and i know i can imagine it's it's hard to compress everything you've gone through in the last few years into into a few slides but i mean that's a very good high level <clears throat> understanding of it are you would you say so you are sephora is is in a fully composable state now uh, some of the enterprise applications are still monolithic in nature, but all of the consumer-facing applications, you you can say that it's already composable, it's headless, and and so on. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, th thank you so much for for that. I mean, um, if anyone has uh, wants to talk to someone who understands it, uh, I mean, and has gone through it on the front lines, uh, it's always great hearing from from your th that kind of perspective. So I really appreciate that. Um, now, Thomas, you're you're on kind of the opposite side of the fence as an agency helping brands like like Shree and Sephora and others like navigate to composable, but not just navigate. I, you know, I always say it's moving to composable is not the, the end state or like that's not the goal. It's the goal is to unlock new channels or unlock different ways of selling or own different components, but to, to maximize the revenue that composable can unlock. And I know one of the brands you've referred to on other panels we've been on and or podcasts and different things is is uh, Harry Rosen uh, as a true uh, or another example of a great composable success story. And they're also a, a mutual client. We work together. We work on the checkout side with them. When you think back on that project, and I'll ask you about any other ones you have in mind too, but I just know you've referenced that before. Um, what were some of the things you thought they executed well uh, that set them up for success? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's always interesting to look back on it. I think you never you never knew what decisions you were making at the time. I think, sure, you mentioned, oh, we were lucky. We made this decision before COVID and all the stores closed. I think Harry Rosen were a little bit closer to D-Day as it related to that shift. And they had to move very quickly um, to the point of which there wasn't a planned e-commerce project in that year. And once the once COVID hit, once the stores were closing, it was like, well, we got to do it, so let's go get it done. Um, but they they adopted what is just launch quickly. It's not about the feature parity. It's not about the 15 years of your website that you're bringing with you. Uh, I really appreciated your perspective of it's maybe not MVP. Does the button press button? Yes, but does it actually transact? Are people going to convert on it? Once they got to that point, they they managed to to find the courage to launch and. What I like to think now is Harry Rosen is probably one of the most featureful websites out there in terms of what they've built incrementally ever since. But to Sheree's point, I mean, it's really just like, you know, each sprint is valuable features for the business, but it's the fact that you've got to get live on the foundational layer to be able to take advantage of that. So I suspect that, you know, I've, I've seen many, many of these projects over the years and the word we always hear on day one of the, the the mapping and the features is feature parity or same thing, or at the very least, it has to do mm -hmm. what we do today. The bit that maybe sometimes people don't realize is these are all best of breed technologies. So there's 50 things you don't know they can do that you can take advantage of. That means you don't have to bring, you know, along what you've built custom and, you know, all those little scripts that you run to make things work in their quirky ways, you, you might not have to bring that along. And that's another use case where I think they, they got there live, they got there quick, and then they managed to develop from there on. Um, and they, they're the most successful projects because people can get momentum and excited behind it. And then you can shift towards your more 
product-focused delivery teams, the team that works on the checkout, the team that works on the app, it's not about that team that mm -hmm. works on the e-commerce as a whole. Any other brands? I know they're 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 a great example. Any others come to mind of of examples that um, you think stand out? The list is actually getting much bigger than it historically was. I remember back in 2020, you used to have to look for the two live case studies that had actually done this. I think you know I've seen mm -hmm. 40 or 50 different brands migrate from Oracle ATG, for example, or a lot of the SAP migrations are kicking in now. Um, like Express is a really interesting one. I think Lululemon have done a really good job building in some composable elements into their broader strategy. Ulta Beauty have a, a big multi-year model of how they're rolling out a lot of these benefits, but it's really when you're breaking down your channels and you're thinking of one technology yeah. to be used in many places, those are the examples that I always look back on because it's truly omni-channel at that point and you're getting the most out of the technologies that you're using as well. Sri, when you were going through all this, did you have any uh, brands that you you modeled your approach off of, or anyone any brands that inspired you at all? No, I, I think uh, going back to what I was saying, right? So composable and the headless and all of these have been there in the industry. I think we haven't talked about market ads uh, as such. So when we started the journey, looking at some of this in 2017, 2016, uh, we looked at different different organizations, but many of them had this concept of coupled architecture because it, it was easier for them. It was mm -hmm. probably easier to choke one throat from like from an engineering to the business standpoint, right? Because there is only one person who's responsible for e-commerce. Uh, but all of these organizations had challenges of growing, right? And then pivoting to the market trend, which is why I think I, I strongly believe that when we started in 2016 and when we launched our first headless website we were the only ones uh, out there and there were not many uh, there are companies i mean of course there are like i came prior to sephora i came from walmart they have created the the whole composable ecosystem in-house within their organization and they were all way ahead mm -hmm. of the game right they were already decoupled from website to the back end so uh, some of those were inspirations because of my past experience as well but when i came into sephora uh, surprisingly there were not many organizations who has this monolithic ecosystem which had the decoupled architecture in, in mind. So that also became yeah. very challenging because you need to then educate the leadership and executives, explain them what are the benefit. And I keep uh, repeating myself sometimes saying that, okay, you need to look at the opportunity cost about this, right? I mean, it's not, it's yeah. not about what is that you can do which you are not able to do today, right? Uh, it's about what if you are not able to do certain things, if things to change. Right. So I think that is where I think many organizations were not there. But as I said, the larger technology organizations have been doing this for quite many years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're an inspiration to others. So you kind of <laughs> paved the way a bit. Um, the, the title of this webinar is, is uh, maximizing the ROI of your composable journey transformation. Um, so I definitely want to hone in a bit on that um, because, you know, like we mentioned, it's not composable for the sake of composable, it's composable for the sake of ROI in some capacity. Um, but I, I'll, I'll ask this to both of you, Sri, I'll start with you. Of, of all the things that you changed during your transition, uh, what aspect do you think made had the biggest impact on ROI or revenue? I, I think 
composability gives you the speed and agility, right? And, and how quickly can you turn around to a market condition, whether it is induced by consumer, like consumer is looking for a new trend or new way of doing things. Like omni-channel is a great, uh, thing, a great topic to discuss about, right? I mean, organization like Best Buy, uh, I, I used to consult with Best Buy long back in the earlier stages of my career. They started omni-channel in 2000, the early 2000s, right? And when the dot-com boom happened, they already had omni-channel. So when organizations are still fighting to figure out how it is done, uh, that's primarily because of their uh, their monolithic architecture, right? Uh, and and the mm -hmm. organization, of course, the organizational readiness of operations are there. But when it comes to even if organization is ready to operate and they have figured out, there are architectures which are not letting them move at the pace which they need, right? And that's where I think composable architecture comes in, and that has truly helped us in terms of return on investment because. Uh, as I said, mm -hmm. the advantage of composability is you don't truly build the whole castle altogether, right? I mean, you just build one room at a time and each room you build is giving you the return immediately. And you can see whether to build, continue to build yeah. the rooms or should I stop at this point? I mean, all of that flexibility is there with composable architectures, which is truly what I would say the differentiating factor for return on investment, because you're not looking at millions of dollars of investment and expecting the 10 times of the revenue to come come back. Rather, look at very tiny investment and then you immediately get the return for it, right? Uh, that's that plus yeah. the opportunity cost, which I talked about, right? I mean, which is a key factor, which many executives don't think about that. What if I, I was able to launch it eight months in advance, right? I mean, what is the ROI which it could generate? Right versus a monolithic architecture, which you might have to wait for an year to return, uh, get to the return point. Right. I mean, that's where uh, I would say organization need to think the the ROI calculation in in different way. Right. In in the new world. Yeah. yeah. I I really appreciate the the comment about um, seeing ROI in steps versus it being a multi-year project and you hope that it's at the end, but it, you're realizing it each step of the step of the way. Thomas, you work with with a lot of brands. Um, what do you generally see as the biggest impact on ROI? Is it is it the same, or does it vary depending on on the brand or the vertical they're in? Yeah, I mean, we've built a, a business case or two in our time. Um, and if I wrap my brain for what doesn't work, um, it's definitely not things like site speed. Uh, I need to get you know two points per second off my load time on my homepage, or I need to bump the conversion rate up a couple of basis points. I mean, you can replatform from demandware onto Salesforce reference architecture and get that same lift. It's just old technology to new technology when you're doing the smaller stuff. I think it's 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 tough for some brands to realize what the real benefit of ROI is because. The composability is what gives you that, to Shree's point, the speed and agility to move faster. Um, it can be from moving away from what you're on today, like in a bold case where we've got a project at the moment, they're on Oracle, let's just do checkout. The rest of my ex experience is actually working okay, mm -hmm. my checkout isn't, let's just fix that problem and find incremental value. But then it's also once you're on a composable stack that is at that Sephora stage, you become that composer of your composable commerce tech stack. And that's the fun part for me, where frankly, you just go shopping. It's what's the visual merchandising tool I need? What's the personalization engine, the SMS thing? The integration model is just so much faster. The time to value is seen. And to, to oftentimes what you see in a development team is the shift from 
feature building and how much more feature building you do within your sprints versus just trying to get workarounds and keeping up. And then on the other side of the business, it's it's the it's the enablement of your your content teams, your product teams, your search teams. They don't need to ask IT to do stuff anymore. So you know, an hour spent inside of Algolia, they can actually make thousands of dollars for their business without logging a ticket or changing your homepage for a promotion. Without asking anyone, you can just do these things quickly and that's when it gets more enjoyable or more fun for a brand. And I think it's not always a bottom line, you know, look at our conversion rate benefit, but if you really dig into it, 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 it equally goes down to things like employee satisfaction and, and how much more people enjoy their jobs and are more motivated to do well at that point. Yeah, uh, I was gonna ask some other benefits of besides revenue increase, what are some other benefits? But you both mentioned a, a bunch, numerous other benefits of Composable, so I won't, I'll, I'm gonna skip that one. Next question I wanted to ask was, you know, one of the things that, that we've really seen in the past few years, especially, you know, the past three years with the pandemic, it's been unprecedented, is, is how fast the demands, and not just demands, but like the actual need of how customers have to shop uh, changes, you know, from, from 2020 to 2023, how you bought online or in-store or combination of both or at a curb or at a kiosk or all these different touch points, it's all changed so fast. And my question to, to both of you is, you know, given this seems to be the new norm, this is this rapid change of how customers buy and in like two years from now, it's probably going to be different again. It's maybe all going to be AI assisted or something else we don't know, but we know it's rapidly changing. What what benefits and advantages does composable commerce bring to the table to, to help with this? Um, Thomas, let's start with you on this one. Uh, it's not gonna, we're not gonna see less change. I think everybody's aligned at this point. We're giving up saying, oh, it'll stabilize and next year is gonna be an easy year. It, nothing crazy is gonna happen. Um, I think if every business is taking a pretty sober look at what's gonna happen in the next three years of what they need to do, it's it's more, Agility, it's more speed that they need to keep up. Um, I think a lot of this stuff is like, you don't know what you're gonna get hit with tomorrow and you have yeah. to be able to do it or else you're gonna lose. And, and this isn't lose from the perspective of you might not get that one customer. I mean, we've seen specific use cases in the market now where, I mean, you lose by going bankrupt because you just cannot keep up with what you need to do as a company. and. Like there's some companies literally naming a lack of investment in technology is the reason why they went bankrupt. And I think composable yeah. commerce is the next wave of what that modern approach is, what agility is, how do you kind of break down the barriers between different sides of your business and get them working together. There are some of the core compounding effects for me where it's it's not so scary when you get get hit with a shock in your business if you're built to expect it. And I think that's what, you know, composable commerce has to be rooted in um, because you can pull in a loyalty engine if you need it. You can pull in a mobile app if you need it. There's more speed to market in terms of these things that you have to bring into your business. Yeah, Shri, any, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, uh, I will uh, add to that, right? Um, I, I agree that the organizations who are probably no more... Uh, there or or have bankrupt or because they have not seen technology the way it has changed over the years right i think traditionally organizations have seen technology as a cost center 
and it, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. cash burning mission uh, and it, it is a support organization. That's why it was always called IT help or IT help desk or all of this, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what they think. I mean, and something is not working, you reach out to them. Versus in the current world, I think the technology is a driver of innovation, technology is driver for business and even opportunity, creating additional business revenue opportunities uh, is done through technology. And composability, when I come back to composability topic, I think traditionally, I think composability has come around uh, in e-commerce and more and more we see the benefits of composability is over uh, overlaid with many different channels like just talk about sephora i think the composable journey have created us an easier integration and bring in the same consistency whether it's in the stores it's in our partner sites or even like you know that sephora is partnering with Kohl's, like giving the same level of experiences uh, for the consumer for the sephora consumer across all channels is done only through cons uh, having this composable architecture, right? I mean, it creates that omnivision, the unified customer experiences, which traditional yeah. and organic organizations have grown creating their own siloed ecosystem, which is because of the monolithic nature, right? I mean, you, you traditionally look at point of sale, just take like stores and, and digital. Point of sale is monolithic by itself. You have created an ecosystem which works only for stores. And you created an accessory mm -hmm. organization called digital uh, traditionally because you just want to have a presence in .com, right? And you created another monolithic ecosystem for .com. And because of the nature that they don't talk to each other, they have created silo organization of customer accounts and experiences and whatnot. And now, now the consumer demands same level of experiences across the board, right? And when you look at it, you can continue to invest and pour in money to in, uh, enhance your experiences both in the POS and on the .com side or all channels for that sake, mm -hmm. or create composable architecture so that it can be consistent and it is available across the board. And that's where your total benefit comes in, right? So the consumer demand is changing. Yeah. How quickly can you change and give the consistent experience across the, the platforms? I think that's almost impossible to do multiple monolithic ecosystems serving only one channel at a time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So, I well, I, there's a couple of things I want to dig into there, but I want to make sure I get to a couple points on on if there's anyone uh, listening who their organization is is thinking about going down this path. Um, you know, they're they're bought in, they they get it, they they see the benefits, they see the value. Uh, you know, Thomas, I'll, I'll throw this one to you because you maybe have these conversations with a lot of brands. If if their organization is thinking about going this path, what is the first thing they should do? Where do they start? Yeah, I think um, if I go back about two years ago, a lot of people's opinions was, I'm on this thing, how do I get to this new group of things and let's go start building this package of it. What has happened is this market's moving extremely quickly. I swear what happens one quarter is not the next anymore. Um, now it's a case of these strangler approaches to get there are getting very creative in terms of adding value in different ways. Um, so at Orium, we now no longer recommend the word replatform because one, the new thing you have is not really a platform, it's a group of technologies, but two, in this economy, in this time, or in, in what you're taking on to your business, it's too much risk. Um, you cannot mm -hmm. afford a failed replatform project anymore. So really it's about finding those strategic approaches that make sense for the pain that you're in today. Um, everybody's in pain. I mean, that's technology. Everybody has found a weak spot in what they're trying to do every day. 
for us, it's around breaking down what is that pain and what is the levers that we can bring away from that limitation that you have today and layer in one of these, you know, Mac solutions that can actually accelerate the change. And it could be as simple as a couple of components on your homepage managed by a headless CMS. Or it could be search mm -hmm. on top of your monolith because your product data is not clear. It could be the checkout first approach where you need things like BOPIS and tax and shipping and you just can't get it done on what you're on today. There's many, many, many different levers to pull. And I think really where we start is just uncovering the pain, lifting the stones underneath them. And then the second part is understanding the limitations that your older technology won't let you do. Because there is there's clear roadblockers that you can't get to. If you know them very clearly, then you can find those areas of opportunity in front of you and, and unlock them very quickly by finding the right technology. And the nice shopping list that you can find is on the Mac Alliance page these days. You can skim that one and get a lot of ideas very quickly of what you can plug and play with quite, quite easily. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with you on the checkout component, <laughs> selfishly. Uh, um, Shri, is there anything that you would say, so someone's getting started, anything to watch out for? Um, was, you know, any gotchas? Like, I, I'm sure you yeah. must have had one or two hiccups in your journey. Uh, any any warnings? Uh, early, maybe a few years ago, if we were to start this journey, I think you will have less and less support and uh, there was no concept of mark alliance there was no concept of like coming up with the reference architecture so you make a lot of mistake going through it uh, even talking about just one piece which is composability of it like if you decide to build it yourself and i think that's going back to the build versus buy i think it's a hard decision mm -hmm. many technologists believe that i should build it myself and i mean i i, I used to be that guy uh, but i think you do need to understand the the business you are in the organization you are in right and look at the strengths which you have and try to amplify the strength and differentiate where you can differentiate but don't try to build it everything yourself that's my pov because you will end up spending a lot and and not creating that agility which you are expecting right so that's where i would say like going back to what thomas said i think there are so many platforms which are out there which gives you this easy couple solutions which you can just plug in start using it immediately operationally and also effectiveness of it it's pretty fast and you can start using it so try to use those rather than building it everything yourself and differentiate where you can differentiate like for us i think we internally created our own loyalty ecosystem i mean even though there are products out there there are certain unique factors of loyalty which we have and we ended up creating our own loyalty ecosystem Right. So but we did not decide to build everything ourselves. So which, again, is yeah. a recommendation I have that consider build versus buy as a strategic opportunity for you to think rather than taking pride into the, the, the decision making. Right. Because as a technologist, as I said, I can take pride in building everything myself. Right. But uh, think about what you are doing today and what it could cost in terms of uh, agility. Yeah. To keep going on that one just for a second, though. Um... Would you have any perspective on building a monolith in a composable architecture? I've I've seen this one happen once or twice in my time now of, hey, we've got this thing, uh, we launched it, but it doesn't really do what it promised. And when you look under it, you're saying, well, you know, you kind of built the old thing on the new thing, yeah. and now functionally it doesn't actually deliver the value that you needed in your business. Um, maybe even from a bit of a technology perspective, like, where can you see that happening or where is that 
you know, taking the left instead of the right at the crossroads happening for, for people that may go down that route? Yeah, I think that's a great call out. I think granularity of what you build and if you decide to build, I think that is critical, right? You, you If you end up conceptualizing the composability, but you end up building uh, an architecture which has everything in one, which, which you are creating another monolithic architecture, right? So which again, people don't understand because they naturally tend to say, oh, this is already there. I have already an ecosystem working. I have my server up and running why don't you just add to that feature to to that existing server and and that's where you get derailed and then you end up having another ecosystem to manage right uh, i would say it's a decision but uh, also going back to one of the things if if somebody is starting the journey i would say don't start the journey with people who are not familiar with composability and composable architectures right so start and i, I mean i have in prior experience when we started i think i've always used a partner who have done it before knows what they're doing come and and maybe co-develop with us right and that way you are also transitioning certain skill set in-house and then slowly then transitioning to in-house development teams right but if you were to start journey by yourself without uh, without understanding what you're ending up building then you might end up in the old situation where you are right yeah um and i, I want to ask this before we we're getting close on time here but this this obviously I, I can't go without st stating it that composable is not for everyone um how do you think about that when uh you know it how where do you draw the line like what is what i'll phrase it this way what is the single biggest reason a brand should consider composable and what's the biggest indicator they should not either of you have thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I can go first. I think it is sure. a strategic decision, right? I mean, it's not the technology alone decision. So if you're an organization, mm -hmm. again, I don't want to tie the revenue to the decision-making process because the current revenue doesn't mean that you are there or not there, right? I mean, I think where you need to think is like, how do you think your consumers are today? What is the agility which they are expecting? What is the consumer demand? Do you have current ecosystem and the technology which is supporting the, the needs of the consumer, right? If it does, and if it doesn't harm you or block you from growing as an organization, then you continue doing it. And But think about like, when do you need to switch over to composable architecture in the future? But if you have everything which you need, which is working right now, I would say that's not there yet. Second thing is the organization itself. Like, don't try to force the organization to be composable, right? Uh, and this is going to people who are non-technologists. I think they should not just force the technology team to get into composability because if they don't understand what that is and they've not been trained, they don't know the, the glitches and the, the pros and cons, they might end up building another ecosystem which you need to sustain. And I've seen that in the organizations. Many organizations have created this culture of composability without really looking into it and they have truly spent too much uh, amount in, in the technology architecture. Right, so those are the areas yeah. which I would say that uh, try to get an external perspective, right, about an evaluation of both people in the organization, the process, and and also the technology aspects, and come back and see if this is something which you need. I mean, it's not like more cookie cutter for every organization, for sure. Yeah, agreed. I'm pretty good for a, a good LinkedIn post about composable commerce, and and people <laughs> consider me quite biased in a certain direction, but. You wouldn't believe how many people I tell not to do it. It's it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, there's FOMO and there's hype and there's buzzwords and there's, you know, teams that think, hey, we're going to go get this done because we're 
different and revenue is not the metric i will I, i'll agree on that for sure i think maturity is probably one of the measurements that we could use but it's not very tangible you can't say you're a six out of, or a seven out of ten um team structure is probably one of the one but the the one that i usually come back to is business model um like if you if you're on shopify and you have a transactional website a homepage through checkout and you have 100 SKUs, you're good like you don't even need to be headless you're good like the themes are fine get some nice add-ins in the marketplace keep scaling as a business do your marketing well that's fine i think it's when you go outside of the realm of what is normal is when you fall into that box of, oh wait there is no thing i can't buy my solution anymore there's an element of build and it's not to over index and go buy an open source thing and then start building it's just composable commerce mm -hmm. gives you more of the build capability than what buying a shop in a box gives you and for me it's always yes you have an e-commerce website but what do you have outside of the e-commerce experience that will then impact your customer's experience and i think that starts to to weigh up some of the pros and cons of what composable commerce can offer you um but yeah i'm pretty quick to say don't do it if if i don't see it uh, immediately and um yeah i get quite a lot of people saying i want to go get it done when ultimately you know they've got five years ahead of them with a lot more opportunity in front of them yeah, fair enough uh, I want to uh, answer a question here from the audience. I'll just read it out. Brands with a strong e-commerce presence have scaled even faster into other markets in the past three years. How does Composable help manage complexity, risk, and cost in working with multi multiple payment types in different regions? Is oops, sorry, is there an intersection with payments and scale? I, I think. Well, I'll just speak to this one because we, I mean, we do check out. We the payments is a huge part of part of that. Um, I think um, at, at Composable, one of the biggest strengths of it, um, specifically for, for us with Checkout, is it, it unlocks uh, selling in, in, in various, not just different channels, but different, different regions with different, you know, like the, the, one of the, the multiple payment types in different regions. Like one thing that comes up is, is with us is, you know, brands doing, uh, if they sell any type of restricted goods, CBD or it could be it could be anything. Um, generally, if you sell uh, restricted goods, you have to use certain payment processors, and they generally don't give the best processing rates. So you you but you're forced to use a certain one, and then you use that for all your products. But if you have the ability to create and and we do this, but different checkout flows depending on what's in a cart. So if a product is if they have CBD products in a cart use a certain gateway. If they don't have CDB, CBD products in the cart, use a different gateway that they're getting, you know, like 1.4 processing versus like the CBD processes that they might be getting 2.9% um, and change it by country, uh, change it by region. Uh, so there's definitely a huge advantage that Composable can bring um, when you're selling in different regions, different products, different risk profiles. So I think that's actually an area where Composable really shines. I don't know if either of you two have thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would add just an analogy, right? Uh, if you are thinking of fixing something at home, you probably usually use uh, a handyman, right? He could do multiple things at <laughs> once, but they are not experts in everything. But if you do need to do at scale and you are going to a con construction company and you're saying that I need to build 15 houses of similar nature or different variations, constructor, 
is not going to use a handyman to do the job, right? So they have experts in specific areas. So if you have plumbing experts, you have plumbing experts for different variations of the house. But the key goal there is that you have consistency and you need to give ex expertise in the areas where you need, right? So you that's what composability is. For me, I am the construction guy. And the business is the guy mm -hmm. who's asking me to build something consistently across multiple different channels, right? So for me, I would rather use composable architecture, which is very focused and expert in, in specific areas. So if it is about checkout and cart, I would not have a common ecosystem which is out, out there, which can do 200 things, but doesn't do anything good that deep, right? So that's that's right. what monolithic architecture for me is, right? So. For me, that's what I would say that if you are an organization looking at like how composability really drives the speed, agility, consistency, and even optimal cost, I would say you are if you are composable, then you are at the right place to give that experience and the flexibility and and creating that roadmap, as you said, Jay, that like you have different reasons why we would use a certain type of payment and based on the size of the card, maybe products in the card, maybe the way consumer is and the consumer's preference of the payment. There are so many factors, even personalization comes to in, yeah. comes into it in de deriving yeah. what payment you use. And if you end up creating monolithic, you just consistently give the same set of options for every customer and they have only those options. And every time you need to add something new, then you need to customize the whole ecosystem, which will be another six months project to just release one new payment type, right? So that's that's not composability. And that that is what I would say that, yeah. The composability gives you that uh, the, delivering the features at scale consistently for multiple different channels. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, we're we're basically at time here. I had some more questions. I'm going to just end on one uh, one one fun one. I always have the, I had a bunch of lightning round questions, but I wanted to ask each of you to end this off on kind of a fun note. What is the single best online purchase? either of you have ever made and this isn't related to composable just the best thing you've ever bought online and the worst thing you've ever bought online kind of a fun way to end and then we'll we'll wrap it up thomas let's start with you yeah i think I, i've used this one uh a few times now but um i i've bought i bought um from patagonia one time and could not figure out how to get their amex to work on the checkout flow and then could not figure out how to get them to deliver to the store that was 400 meters from my house. Uh, ultimately had to then go through a different credit card and through the shipping policy to my home just because I wanted that one good. So that was a pretty frustrating one. Uh, luckily they fixed it since. So uh, that one, that one's definitely come through. And then the, the bit for me that, you know, is great, but great for the wrong reasons is how efficient things like Amazon are. Um, everything shows up in two days. That's awesome. It's a shame that the boxes are twice the size that they need to be and that they're like, you know, not quite there from an efficiency perspective, but that supply chain model is just a great experience. And for anyone that can duplicate that on a direct customer use case, I think is, is something to be uh, respected as well. Yeah, I, I don't think you were talking about the experience online. I was thinking the product which I bought. And I mean, for no, me, well, yeah, I, I'll go for like- Yeah, let's uh, hear the product. 2000, 2009, I bought, during the Super Bowl season, I bought a TV, Samsung TV, and that's my best purchase. <laughs> it is still working amazing. I've never bought a TV. I mean, I have bought a TV after that, uh, and none of them work for more than like two, three years. Everything get damaged uh, or get recycled and, and so on. But this one, somehow it's staying still there. So that's my best purchase so far online made without even looking at the TV itself. 
worst worst purchase I, I would say i've had many worst purchases unlike you thomas on <laughs> amazon especially related to the marketplaces right i mean i've i've ordered things which comes either broken some sometimes it doesn't even come sometimes it gets stolen in front of the house so so many experiences but unfortunately because it's marketplace there is only certain things which amazon can do and you are just uh, at the uh, at the mercy of marketplace itself so i've had many such occurrences i bought a book one time that when i got it 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 was literally maybe 2 inches by 3 inches and it was a, a it did i mean I would have never thought to check that the dimensions of the book that it's a full size book, but that's uh, a, a current. I don't, know if, I don't know if I call it a scam, but a yeah. trick going on on Amazon. So um, always check the dimensions of what you're buying. Sometimes they're miniature, but you don't know it. So, anyways, this has been uh, a really, really fun conversation. Uh, I had a lot more questions. I mean, we could talk for hours. We're we're at time. Um, you know, we'll make sure we send out the recording to everyone. Uh, Thank you both for, for all the knowledge and insight. I know the emails are up on the screen if anyone has further questions or wants to reach out. And um, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. Thank you both so much for, for being on today. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 